welcome back for another episode of Clean Tech Talk, where we at Clean Technica interview clean tech leaders from around the world. With topics ranging from electric cars to climate change communication, you can listen to our full podcast series by visiting our website at cleantechnica.com. We're here for another episode of Clean Tech Talk. I'm Zach Shahan, CEO of Clean Technica. And joining us today is David Hostert from Bloomberg NEF, who is a renewable energy market analyst and expert who's been working in this field for over a decade, as I understand it. We're going to talk today about cost trends in the renewable energy market, levelized cost of electricity as the focus. But to start off, David, can you give us a little bit of information on your on your background, how long you've been working in this space, what you where you came from in this space? Yeah, Zach, thanks for having me. Yeah, I I kind of joined the clean tech space in 2010 uh, with BNEF, been through various teams, originally in biomass, then um, heading our global wind service for a few years, and then most recently as um, our head of long-term modeling and economics. So looking at all of our flagship reports that look at the future of the energy system up to 2050, which brings together... Um, work from all the different teams across industry, transport, technology, cost, consumer trends to, to paint kind of a picture of what a future energy system may look like. So the, the interest across the, the world today is, is basically cost, cost, cost. We clearly have, uh, have inflation issues related to supply, supply chain issues related to the COVID pandemic and shutdowns uh, at the beginning of the pandemic, as well as more recently, especially uh, out of China, where, where there have been some shutdowns. That I think uh, much of the world doesn't really necessarily notice or pay attention to until it hits their pocketbook. <laughs> but could you just give us a little bit of an update on what the recent cost trends have been in the utility scale solar and wind power markets and uh, what, what's causing those cost trends in the past six months to one year? Yeah, sure. And I think it, it really bears kind of looking back at this time last year when the first kind of trends and things started to kind of hike up on the horizon. Obviously, there were some um, aspects that, you know, we couldn't have really forecasted, like the, the Russian invasion of Ukraine, which has sent um, energy markets spiraling, commodity markets spiraling. But also, we started noticing from the beginning of last year, there was a clear uptick in demand. So the demand side was recovering, and but the supply side has kind of been lagging that, like supply side recovery has been lagging that. And it's kind of the, the same things that dog the global economy and that, you know, that have this recessionary, put this recessionary pressure on, on economies, supply chain, trade flows, material supply, labor cost, misalignment of goods where you know, things are just in the wrong place or they can't be traded. And then, as you said, all those kind of you know, lockdowns from, from China, um, if, if, if the port of Shanghai shuts down, you don't notice until four or five weeks later when the last ships arrive. You know, until then, you're insulated because everything's still in, in, on the road or on the water, basically. So, but that has affected the different sectors kind of differently. And, and the cost, also the ability to pass on cost has been differently based on the sector. Yeah, people who track closely what are expected electric vehicle deliveries, they're, they're well aware of the shipping situation. You know, it takes, yeah. you, have to, you have to look at this weeks or months in advance to understand what's going to happen in a, in a certain time frame. So I think that's something, yeah, that we don't really, as normal people, consumers, don't get our head around is that thing, changes in price we see 
have very long origins that you know that go back. Hey. One one hundred percent, right? And it can be it can be small things. Like if you if you wanted to order an EV at the moment, you know, it might be just one chip or one thing that keeps keeps you from getting it. Automakers, um, their complaint is they they can't serve customers quickly enough. You know, we we are now in the steep part of the S curve when it comes to EV adoption, and at the moment it's a supply bottleneck. We we can't get vehicles off the off out of the tree quickly enough, basically. Yeah, and so with regard to solar and wind technologies, can we expect those costs to keep rising because of delayed ramifications of some of these these fact these factors, or is are some of these main factors easing up, improving, and we'll see costs coming down again in six months or or a year? Yeah, that's that's a good question. So on 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 onshore wind, year in year we've seen cost increases of um, nearly seven percent. And then for solar, it's been between 4% for tracking PV and up to 14% for fixed access PV. So those are significant hikes. For onshore wind, some of the biggest drivers have been um, material cost rises. You know, steel is an important component. Shipping costs have gone up as well. There have been, you know, been very specific shortages and very specific components that might come from, from China or other places. It doesn't mean that the underlying kind of technology cost decline story is broken. It, it really isn't. And we also forecast that demand is going to be up and, and, and continue to be up. The challenge is how you pass those on, right? So as a manufacturer, you might be able to hedge some of your supply and that kind of delays the impact of, of how you how you have to pass on um, cost to your, your clients. But then ultimately at one point, you have to pass them on. Meanwhile, developers are delaying ordering the turbine as much as possible because they're, you know, they're as close as possible to the, the actual time of use so that they can kind of, you know, hope, hoping that prices will come down again. So there are these kind of con- contradictory trends. And then when you look at onshore wind in particular, there's an interesting kind of sub story here, which is around China. So in China, the cost of wind turbines have been falling, whereas in the the rest of the world, the costs have been rising. Now, if you take our global benchmark, China is half of everything, and in particular in onshore wind and especially in offshore wind. So when you take into account falling costs in China, then the, you know, the, the rise globally is about um, you know, 7%. Whereas if you take out the cost um, of LCV outside China, it's up 17%. So there's this kind of bifurcation where where countries are on different journeys and the eternal China market is just behaving in, the, in a different way. Yeah, that's fascinating. Why, why is that? Why is China going down at the same time as the rest of the world is going up? It's, um, it's a combination of things. So by the end of 2020, subsidies ran out. So that increased pressure from cost pressure from developers and manufacturers. At the same time, you also have an increase in, in turbine size. So, you know, the, the platforms have increased. There's more bulk contracts, so kind of more larger orders, and, and then just really fierce competition among manufacturers. If you if you look at Bloomberg and EF's turbine ranking, uh, manufacturer ranking from this year, you know, there are a bunch of companies in there that most people had never heard of outside China. So suddenly these you know, companies that are not very well known are top, part of the top 10 global suppliers. So there's just been this intense price competition leading to this kind of fork in the road between China and the rest of the world. And just to add an offshore wind, that's even more intense because offshore wind costs have come down based on our 
indicators, so they're down 3.5%. But if you exclude China, they're actually up 6%. And that's simply because China has been such a, become such a big market. And I think you really, yeah. earlier to shipping out of, you know, Shanghai or whatever is, it has become a problem for a lot of different markets, a lot of different industries. Is that also something that, that is, is affecting costs in solar or, or wind? It, it is. Module prices for solar modules actually haven't gone up. They've remained stable. And that's partly to do with the kind of dynamic between how, how costs can be passed on in, in this hyper-competitive market. Certainly, the increase in shipping costs has led to an increase for solar. And then for solar, it's all about you know, what we call balance of plant. It's the electric infrastructure, it's the um, EPC contracts, the engineering, you know, the actual physical work. And then those, those contracts, those costs have really gone up. And we, we interview, we look at actual project economics, we interview developers, and, and they're having huge issues getting kind of contractors and, and getting installation times. And then if you think about solar, that's where a lot of the pinch has come in the last years, right? So module prices are falling, that's great. But what makes solar so amazing is that you do the same thing over and over again and you just get better and better, like one screw less, um, you know, one, yeah. um, the, one half an hour for a screw less. That's, that's how, you, how you squeeze the fat out of the, out of the cost. And, and that, that bit has been rising again. And, you know, that, might, that may be temporary. And again, costs keep coming down. On, on the technology, but, but now we have this kind of general price inflation and all these kind of secondary components. And how big of a role is labor in, in, the, in the, some of those? Are labor costs a significant factor in some of the, the increasing costs due to just, I mean, basically it's, wages? It's, uh, yeah, it's hard, it's, hard to, it's hard to isolate. I mean, what we can say is if you, if you look at labor costs in the US, for example, those have been going up by by 16%, I think, between in the last 18 months. Yeah, me... I guess being American, yeah. it is kind of, you know, this is something you think of because this is something that we've, we've, we've seen large increases in, in pay, especially on sort of, uh, you know, yeah. um, sectors where, or, or I guess a class of society that doesn't typically get much of a, of a boost financially when others at the higher tier do. So it's been a kind of raising the boat, raising the, yep. the, the water level for all, all people. And as but a, then that costs more in the end for other, other products. Yeah. I mean, as, as, as an economist, but training, like the alarm bells go off of the classic kind of wage inflation spiral. Yeah. So, so there are these underlying factors. We, we should also speak about material costs because we, you know, in the in the run up beginning of this year, we've seen this massive spikes in in lithium, in steel, nickel, all those you know important components and kind of what is sometimes referred to as transition metals. Some of these initial spikes have have waned a little bit. So we're off the highest peaks. You know, prices for key metals have come down, but at the same, these are spot prices. How much? So, how much is that related to the Russian invasion of Ukraine? Particularly, I think of nickel, where a lot of nickel is mined in that region is yeah. this, is this part of the the material cost increase a big part of the material cost increase or is it other other i mean lithium hey. is not an issue i mean lithium is other regions basically yeah it's both a demand and a supply side story so on on the demand side demand is up people are recognizing these are important materials there's lots of kind of interest in in the space and there are short-term bottlenecks on the supply side that are real so there, there are there are these kind of 
pinch points around lithium, around others. And then added to that, the Ukraine invasion and the war in Ukraine have just com- compounded this, this frenzy in the market. We do our own demand and supply forecasting. And, but I think what's also important to recognize is that, that the battery chemistry is shifting and has shifted. If I look, for example, at our, we have a system publication to, to the new energy outlook that my team looks after in the electric vehicle space, which is the electric vehicle outlook, and our cobalt forecast, what we thought the amount of cobalt in, needed for EVs has halved over the last three years. So in 2019, we said it's minus X, and now it's half, half of X, even, even even though the absolute forecast has gone up, we've become more aggressive. So this tells you how, how the kind of battery chemistry uh, materials are reacting to, to shortages. It's not a... Yes, and um, there, there was a lot yeah. of... There was a lot of concern about cobalt for a couple of years. So that, that's sort yeah. of a perfect case of sort of long-term effects of something. You know, you don't see I mean, them for a long time, but cobalt was hyped as a big concern for a couple of years. Battery makers and automakers uh, responded to that. And we're, and we're seeing the effect of that, you know, at this yeah. point, which is... Yeah, no, I'm not trying to kind of like kind of talk, talk it down because there are real issues. Um, but on a, on a kind of long-term trajectory, if I zoom out, if I kind of take my long-term perspective on, these things tend to, like supply and demand tend to just, again, thinking again about the wind sector when we are talking about permanent magnet versus geared, you know, there were, there were big debates in 2012, 2013 around um, geared um, as turbines and whether the rare earth materials would be there and then that kind of went the way of of gear for the most part and yeah we should do a top t- uh, like highlight show top 10 things that used to be a hot topic and are, and are <laughs> disappeared <laughs> but just i you know i always think context is key we have a lot of different contexts here you've added for different things but in broader context of the overall power market renewable costs are up a bit but how does that relate to fossil fuel power costs, which I assume are are up a bit as well, if not a lot? Yeah. Yeah. No, that's true. And and the gap between renewables and fossil fuel plants has actually widened further this year. So costs for renewables are are up, um, but the cost for new built gas and coal are rising faster. And that's based on you know obviously we're taking views on commodity markets here, but over the lifetime of the plant, the costs have been have been rising. Yeah, so that's that's absolutely been the case. So the the under the underlying kind of dynamic between the two is unbroken, re, despite this temporary hike. And the te- the hike is due to external factors. It's not due to a something being kind of wrong with the technology story or the kind of story of, of price decline, and co- sorry of cost decline, I should say. So we've talked about you know, broadening the context there. Uh, so renewables, although costs are going up, they're going up less than fossil fuel power costs for for new build power plants. Can you also just talk a little bit more about the long term? I mean, so we're we're talking about six months, one year, but what about the past five years, ten years, fifteen years? What's the overall trend looking like, and how does this fit into that? So for the long long term outlook, you, can, you um, can pick your time frame for the long term. I'm just throwing out options. Yeah. You. you don't have to do all five, ten, fifteen. Yeah, if I just kind of quickly speak out of context here. So so the for for the forecast bit. We we do publish our podcast, but I don't have any figures at my fingers, tip of my fingers, like on, on the types of reduction. So I can talk about how we do it, but I won't be able to kind of just produce kind of how much by when. I mean, just in general, like the costs have come down dramatically in the last you know ten years. I'm I'm not sure yeah. if we want to talk. Yeah, let's let's, let's see. <laughs> yeah, so so long term in the long term cost 
trends, at least for onshore wind, we're seeing a return to kind of the, we're not seeing a kind of, we're not on a higher plane, if that makes sense. And we're seeing a return to, to kind of the previous trend in the next 18 to 24 months. For batteries in the short term, probably going to see a, a price increase again. And that's just looking at um, the cost of the underlying commodities. So we did a sensitivity analysis. We have a bottom-up cost model for batteries. We did a sensitivity analysis month by month of how spot prices would in, um, impact of, um, the, ca- the capital expenses for a battery. And you can see that while we're saying that this time around, the global benchmark has risen 8, eight to 9%, the, the cost hikes from we've seen in, in kind of the last six months would imply a cost rise of 22%. So there's a difference between what's, get, what's getting built in the last half year and what's getting financed in the half year, last half year, because those projects would, would have hedged their cost, you know, like in, in, in the last, in, in 2021, actually. So next, the next time we do LCV, probably we'll see the effect of prices seen over the last six months. So there's, yeah, probably some some room for further for the cost hikes, but then also we we have seen, as I said, costs for some of these critical materials come down again. So so you'd expect that to filter through as well. And how that makes its way through the supply chain is also kind of different by country and different by by chemistry. Like I said, for for solar module makers have not been able to pass those costs on to consumers just yet. And I'm just thinking, like, if we go from 2010 when you got into this space, or or 2015 to to now, is it like a pretty steep downward cost trend, or or a maybe moderate downward cost trend? And now this looks like a bit of a bump up that will pr- presumably go back down and continue like a, a downward cost trend for in the next five to ten years. Mm. The cost for for solar since 2010 from memory have come down something like 90%. That's not going to kind of reverse this, this trend. And, and even, even in between then, if you uh, remember in 2013, 14, when, when we said the cost would continue to go down, but prices actually didn't, and that was because subsidies were, were kind of artificially inflating prices. At the moment, those subsidies were removed, it bumped back to the long-term trend. And we would expect a similar thing to happen again, simply because it is a supply problem. It's not a demand. Are there any big topics here that we've that we've missed, or any geographic differences you would would be inclined to talk about more on on solar, onshore, onshore wind, or offshore wind? No, I think I think those those are fine. Um, I mean, one one thing that might be worth kind of highlighting is there are more factors kind of that are not trade specific like the role of central banks and, and base rate increases. And, and that's something that we've seen. Um, and there's some interesting kind of observations from, from Asia between Australia and India and, and how those effects have, have filtered through. Also to say that currency fluctuations now play a role. So if you, if you think about kind of dollar benchmarks, then currency fluctuations can, can make a difference. Yeah, and then some kind of ills of renewable sector, which is kind of boom and bust, are just still playing in, right? So we talked about China. We talked about, we can talk about onshore wind in Vietnam. We've seen a huge boom meet to, to meet a feed-in tariff deadline. Monthly, you know, PV imports for in India, which were kind of, there was some stockpiling going on before a tax tax relief ended. So so even though we're like, like 12 years in, and you and I have seen like 
for so many boom and bust cycles, we still get these mini boom and bust bursts. And, and some of those also happened again this year and they're compounding this kind of stop and go dynamic where usually maybe a, a well-aligned supply chain would have buffered those. But this year, last 12 months particularly, it's, it's, it just doesn't because the anticipation of shortages also creates the shortage you know it's a bit of a self-fulfilling prophecy if, if i told you that you have a big construction site and manhole covers you know are going to be short in the next three years well you order a lot of them if you can yeah i'm i imagine in in the uk you had maybe similar problem we had here in the us when the pandemic started and people hoarded uh, toilet paper which was yeah it was, i mean it was surprised a lot of it was like surprised a lot of people but obviously it was common sense to a lot of people because they went out and hoarded it but uh but but it, it was like it, you know it's like you got food you got what you know but it's, yeah i mean it's a it's, it's a classic a, collective action problem right where a, where your dominant strategy is to make sure you have toilet roll but when you when everybody does it we all run out of toilet roll because it is a locally made product that is never in short supply it's just made kind of on a constant basis and can't be scaled up or down very quickly yeah it's not like we're going to change our our habits dramatically but but I would... or, or 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 if there weren't any substitute products you could use yeah. <laughs> it yeah. is it is not 100 unsubstitutable. that's why it was such a strange but then i was i also think of you know recessions and you know the you know how the talk is always like well you you got to keep consumer confidence up you know don't, don't pe- make people scared of a, of a recession because then they will stop buying and then they will cause the recession or that kind of thing you know or to get out of yeah. it you have to encourage people to buy stuff so they but then they have to be you know uh not they have to you know be confident to to to, to be encouraged and it's like it's yeah this this issue of a self of self-fulfilling prophecies and kind of like circles of communication sort of but yeah. i guess just uh, as a big picture things to wrap up so we we've got a levelized cost of electricity of of solar onshore wind and offshore wind up a bit if i understand and and uh, battery storage for these but that's that's lower the increase is lower than for for new fossil fuel powered power plants and in the grand scheme of things we would i think we would expect that renewables will keep growing in deployment because they they remain more cost they actually get more more cost uh, competitive they they expand their their cost competitiveness over fossil fuel power is that correct? Yeah, I think that's still correct. But when we then kind of zoom in from the ten thousand foot view again and kind of zoom in individual companies countries, it it does create at least short term problems. Right, so if you look at wind turbine manufacturers, a lot of them are in kind of negative margin territory. That is an issue, and it needs solving. And if you look at um, cost hikes in um, and just countries, to clar- in- clarify on wind, is that in the Chinese producers as well as European producers? Because uh, we um, also talk about you know costs have gone down in China while they've gone up elsewhere. It's it's harder to it's harder to look into some of the smaller kind of non-listed players in China, but certainly for a lot of the Western manufacturers, it has been have been tough years, and this isn't helping <laughs> meanwhile there you know demand is up and then if if i think about coming from a kind of developed versus lesser developed countries narrative um it's also the lesser developed countries that are going to be hit harder by this because they don't you know, have less options to buffer um supply chain problems to you know have the kind of cost pressure 
price price negotiating pressure to to keep prices low so so the, my worry is also that this will make those countries fall behind their targets and, and that's super important because as we're heading up to cop 20 cop 26 in egypt that will be all about the kind of lesser developed countries now all the countries that didn't make big pledges in glasgow last year and it's it's those we should actually worry more because behind this global benchmark there's you know a very kind of varying story across countries and the fact that um prices are going down or stable in 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 germany or china doesn't speak to to lesser developed countries yeah i think the region the region differences is fascinating one of the more fascinating things uh, in this whole uh, interesting topic well thank you for the insights today i think might have to come back with more follow-ups or or targeting different regions as as uh, we get feedback and as things change but thank you for for joining us for clean tech talk david thanks sex been a pleasure and anyone who's enjoyed this conversation enjoy clean tech talk and clean technica please remember to subscribe to like us on apple podcasts on google podcasts and of course if you really like us you can become a, a paying subscriber for at least three dollars a month and get uh, more access to exclusive content on clean technica Thank you very much. Have a good day. Thank you for listening to Clean Tech Talk. Join us next time to get your electric fix. If you would like to sponsor our podcast, send us an email at accounts at cleantechnica.com. That's A-C-C-O-U-N-T-S at cleantechnica.com. Thanks. Thanks.